is going on, podcast listeners? Neil here for another episode, and I got my buddy Ben Davis on from the Gents Place. How you doing, Ben? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Super excited to have Ben on. So the Gents Place, um, I'm going to try to hype you up for a second, Ben, and then yeah. you can jump in. Because usually when I ask people, what do you do? You know, everyone's kind of humble about it. Mm-hmm. So Ben worked in financial services early in his career and now owns the Gents Place, which is a franchise. They have 12 locations. Um, if you've ever gone to Supercuts and thought, dude, this sucks, I'm paying 30 bucks, and this is a very mid haircut, Ben's franchise solves that completely. I believe it's unlimited haircuts, flat fee per month, mm-hmm. super swanky location. Uh, it looks badass. And now Ben runs his own podcast, runs all these franchise locations. So really, really excited to have Ben on. Yeah, thank you. We say it's a country club meets speakeasy meets barbershop. I love that. So when you say speakeasy, tell me about the experience. I'm going to walk into a Jen's place. What yeah, is this yeah. Like? So, so, so you walk in and the first thing you don't see are a bunch of barber chairs and that's by design. So you walk in, you actually see a beautiful private lounge, a complimentary top shelf bar, a mm-hmm. fireplace, a beautiful collection of retail, everything from $15, $20 hair pomades and beard oil all the way up to $500 plus bottles of cologne and fragrance and some uh, leather goods. And so when you walk in, the experience should be we know who Neil is. We've seen you before. You're a member at the establishment. As you mentioned, it's a membership-based club. You hang out for a bit. Maybe you work on your laptop, and then you go back for your services. You're greeted by one of our grooming specialists, which we call our hairstylist, and then you're brought back to the big reveal, which is the kind of the traditional barbershop uh, floor and concept. Um, so you'll have all your grooming <clears throat> services there. You go to a private, relaxing um, shampoo room, we call it the relaxation room. So that's separated from the kind of the you know, typical uh, shampoo bowl at the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, ba- back for the end of your, your service and getting styled out if you're getting a, a hair service. And then you're back up front. And a lot of these guys come in 30 minutes early and they leave 30 minutes later and maybe meet a friend or have a business meeting there. Wow. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's a country club for haircuts as well. Uh, that makes up. And I hear this and I'm like, damn, I wish you guys were in LA. Because for me, by the way, Ben, I have long hair now. This is a pandemic mm-hmm. thing. And mm-hmm. now I'm going to a different stylist. And it's it's just like a, an awful experience, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of go and people are like, okay, what's it? Like, oh, you have to make an appointment or can you book online? And it's just like, it's kind of chaotic. I'd be really happy to pay for convenience, but that doesn't really exist when there's so many different shops with different styles. How does pricing work for you guys? Yeah, so we have a, a model that's not membership exclusive. So you do have an option to come in a la carte. So that's option one. So you can pay mm-hmm. X dollars per service. You can buy a monthly membership or you can buy an annual membership or a, a paid in full. And 70% of our members are annual members. So they prefer to just oh, put wow. the money down one time, forget about yeah. it, put their card on file, put a note in what they want to give in gratuity, and then they're done. And so I think... Um, I think a lot of our members appreciate that convenience of just mm-hmm. pay once and then be done with it. Definitely. Um, ben, how'd you come up with this idea? Were you like, did you get a really bad haircut one day? And you're like, you know what? Let me just start my own place. How, yeah. how did this come about? I always joke that there's a natural transition from insurance to haircuts, which yeah. uh, <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably the only guy that's ever done that. Yeah, I was a a partner at a company called Goosehead Insurance, which is now a public company. I was a fifth employee there, grew it to uh, 150 or so people. And then I struck out on my own in 2008. 
and it was a horrible time to start a business. I got an SBA loan two weeks before Lehman Brothers collapsed. I had no money. Mm -hmm. I was 25 years old and I had two kids. Um, but what I realized, one, is that I was ready to start my own business. I was tired of working for, quote, the man. And then, um, two, I had some issues in my life that I wanted to solve. So kind of classic, you know, problem-solving business opportunity is, one, I hated getting my hair cut. And then, mm -hmm. two, I hated go to, going to the grocery store. And I avoided both at all costs. And hmm. so I, I legitimately looked at both of those um, opportunities. The grocery store was like millions of dollars in thin margins. I knew nothing about the business, seemed like way too big of a, a, a bite to chew. But then I saw some of these men's grooming concepts popping up and I thought these are really cool. They're, they're better than the XYZ clips joints, I call them, um, wood paneling, you get a beverage at the bar. And I felt like um, that was a good fit for me. And I looked at becoming a franchisee of those uh, businesses. Mm -hmm. And after I met the franchisees and the businesses, and these were all kind of nascent, very new franchisors, um, I realized that they didn't have it figured out yet. And I didn't want to join something that uh, they were still experimenting on. And so I decided to start my own uh, franchisor or at that, at that time, my own business, which eventually became my own franchisor. Got it. So your first location was where? Frisco, Texas, which is now Dallas Cowboys headquarters, America's team. I got to put a plug in for America's <laughs> team, Neil. There we go. Uh, ben, tell me about like, your decision-making of what business model to go into. Now, I think a lot of people listening to the show, they're thinking about what kind of business to start, right? And I remember when I was in my nine to five, there's so many options, especially, and that was 10 years ago. Now there's even mm -hmm. more with social media, right? Where people are like, this is the best business model, this is the best business model. How did you decide this was the one to go forward with? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I did, I opened up the franchise magazine. There are 5,000 opportunities at the time, 15 mm -hmm. years ago. And I got overwhelmed. It was dry cleaners, subways, hair salons, you name it. And so what I settled in on was I wanted to and needed to work somewhere where I could imagine working 80 hours a week and still loving the business. Hmm. And so that was a criteria for me is like dry cleaning. I thought I'd get tired of that grocery store. I thought I'd get tired of that, you know, a subway sandwich shop. There was just no way I was going to find passion in it. But what I found a lot of passion in is being a connector in the community, building an mm -hmm. influential community of gentlemen, um, helping serve um, other people through making those connections and networking. And so the gents place was on its surface doesn't seem like that place. It seems like a haircut barbershop. Yeah. But I felt like I was getting in the business of networking and building community. And the haircut was just the vehicle that got the door to open for all these yeah. like-minded gentlemen um, to connect with. And so I could see myself doing that for the rest of my life of building this personal network, business network, having people come back to me, which has happened many times over the years and say, dude, I bought this guy's business because I bumped into him at the gents place, or I got this job or I sold my business. All these amazing stories where they point back to uh, the Genesis being the gents place at the, at that opportunity actually transpiring. Who goes to the gents place? Like what's, that demographic, who's the person, why would they go to the gents place versus like, I don't know, go to a co-working space or like something different. Like it's such a, I guess what I'm trying to get at Ben is some businesses are the same thing as something that are exists, but a little bit different. I feel like yours is kind of a mix. I mean, it's still a haircut. However, it is quite different. You kind of have to educate someone. I'm like, well, it's kind of a barbershop, but it's not really just a barbershop, right? There's an education process with it. 
So who yeah. goes there? How do you educate people about what it actually is? Yeah, th this is part of our challenge in, um, in growing the business um, as rapidly as we want to, because we do look like a barbershop. But when mm. you come in and get the experience and you receive all these ancillary benefits of bumping into somebody that you want to hang out and have a glass of whiskey with or, or do business with, that's where the magic happens. They come back out saying, I thought it was this, but now I realize it's that. Yeah. And so the, the challenge in marketing is educating people and saying, come in and you'll see what we're all about. Um, I would say it's changed a little bit over time because there's some data out there that says 75% of all U.S. workers in the next couple of years will be classified in this millennial bucket, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so our audience is getting younger. But whether you're a 25-year-old, 35, or 60-year-old, all of whom come into the gents' place, I think the common thread that they have is that they see the uh, that's one. Mm. They don't see it as an expense. Um, they go to places and purchase things and services to help them be their best. So we don't have people coming in that are not about their best because they, yeah. they're choosing the best in the market to go to. They pass up 20 other hair salons to, to go to ours. Um, and there's, I think third, there's some sort of financial component where I'm a real estate agent. If I just sell one home a year through meeting someone at the gents place, it's totally worth it. I'm a financial it. advisor. I'm an entrepreneur. There's some economic benefit hmm. or perceived benefit to them coming in. And that could be a 20 two-year-old young professional right out of college. It could be a 55-year-old business owner. Yeah. And that also command a higher rate, right? It's not just transactional. If you give me a haircut and I give you money, it's an experience. It's different. It's kind of a, you're competing against no one because no one else is doing something like that. Well, right. And so when you think about this, and this is part of the challenge for us, and it's, it's a great challenge to have, if you're comparing, um, let's say $50 a month or $600 a year, because that's what most of these gentlemen pay. $600 a year to a $30 haircut that you were paying at your prior place. You go, man, that's a kind of a big gap. 30, there's a $30 and a $600. Um, but then when you, when you compare it to, if I sell $1 million home and I get two and a half percent commission, that's 25 grand. Yeah. If, if you can get the consumer to conceptualize that, then something different comes out of their mouth. They go, Ben, it's only 600. What am I missing? Yep. Right. That, that's yeah, the magic. different context. And I, I do think it's one of those things um, in terms of community. Like I was just thinking how I was reading a stat, how people's happiness has gone down over time. Like, and this isn't just like recent with social media. I mean, like over generations in America, specifically because of urban sprawl, suburban sprawl, people are more individualized than they ever were. And the number one factor of happiness is community. And that's probably the thing which is most lacking. Most people like my age, everyone's looking for community. Like it, it's really hard to find strong community. Honestly, especially in America. If you go to like, I was just in Italy a couple months ago. Everyone lives on top of each other. Community is there whether you want it or not. It's just part yeah. of it because that's how the cities are built. Especially in a place like Texas. It's suburbs everywhere. Everyone's individualized. Everyone's separated, right? So what are you looking for the most? It's going to be community. Now, suppose mm. you can go to networking groups and things like that, but like... The idea of just casually showing up to a spot like yours, the gents place and hanging out, that's worth something, right? And I think that's something a lot of people are craving as well. Yeah. And the, the barbershop has always been that place where everyone had to go. And it used to be that you didn't, you couldn't set appointments, didn't exist in the barbershop. So what you would do mm -hmm. is you would show up and you would wait 
an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, you kind of made a half day of it. And you know, there's movies, right? Barbershop one, two, like yep. these, these are real things that happened over decades is guys are kind of hanging out at Saturday at the barbershop. And so we've taken that concept where we know it's a community hub, but we've added all of these benefits, all of these uh, services, all, kind of the expectation of the gentleman that would go to a Capitol Grill or Four Seasons or mm -hmm. you know a Nordstrom to shop. We're adding some of those accompaniments to that concept of the barbershop, making it more convenient <clears throat> with uh, reservations, make it easy to book, all of that. So it's kind of this new age. We haven't lost that part of the barbershop. Um, community and feel, yeah. we're just taking it to year 2023. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, tell me about your entrepreneurial journey. So you were at Goosehead Insurance. Mm -hmm. It was during 2008, the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. Did you get let go? Like what was the inspiration for you to jump and do something in entrepreneurship? That was the exact opposite. They they asked me to stay, which I did for a few months and built my business plan while I'm getting paid, you know, okay. salary. Yeah. Um, you know, I was um, I was always wired to be an entrepreneur. I started a couple of businesses in college and I intentionally passed up all the big consulting company offers out of business school. And I worked at a startup and because I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I either wanted to start my own business or work at a startup and eventually mm -hmm. start my own business. So I told my boss during the interview, I want to start my own business five years from now. That turned off most potential employers, as you can imagine. Right? Yep. I even had a uh, Mercer consulting. Um, God love these people. Like they gave me feedback. They called me after the interview and they said, Hey, we're declining you. And I'm like, I aced the case. Like this is, what do you mean? Yeah. They said, you told us when we asked you your vision for yourself two years from now, without even hesitating, like start my own business. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're like, don't, tell, quit. don't yeah. tell an employer that, you know? And I was like, yeah. well, I was just being honest. So um, for me, I always knew I had it in me, but um, I was ready. It was three and a half years in and I was ready to do it. And I had built up maybe even a false sense of confidence in myself mm. that I'd helped grow this amazing company at Goosehead. Um, I felt like I had the, the honorary Harvard MBA for my boss, who was a, a Harvard MBA. Um, I was just ready to do it. And so, you know, I don't know how hel helpful that is to your listeners, because I do think some people just know, and some people have this you know, this interest and idea and they're kind of sitting on the sidelines and they go, well, I like my corporate job and I've always wanted to do something different. How do I know when the right time is to do it? And, you know, for those people that just know, go out and do it. Like it's never going to be yeah. a great time to start a business. Um, for those that are on the fence and they're not really sure if they're cut out for entrepreneurship, like this is the, uh, like we're living in the, the, uh, the times of side hustles. It's like the easiest thing ever right now yeah. to dip your foot in the water and test things out way easier yeah. than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. What I've noticed with people side hustling in general, um, by the way, I, that's what I did. That's why I advocate. Like, why not? You make a couple grand on the side, then you feel a little bit more comfort. You can leave without the risk. Mm -hmm. um, if the going gets tough with the side hustle, they have the backup of their job. Mm -hmm. And that slows people down, I feel. It's just a mental like cushion. Like, oh, I've got the safety net. I don't want my side hustling right now. Why am I doing this? Versus the people, um, I'll even say for our franchises, who are full-time, they're just hustling and they're making it way faster, right? Uh, more than double the speed. Even if someone's working 20 hours a side hustle, 40 hours of full-time, the full-time people move at three to four X times the speed just because mm -hmm. there's that sense of urgency, right? So yeah, uh, yeah I, I, it's, it's funny because like I'm of two minds. I am pro side hustle. However, 
I think it depends on the person and if you need that extra kick or not. Yeah. And, and you know what? I totally agree with you. I think if you have the stomach for full time, like extreme work hours, you have the work ethic to back it up, like come hell or high water, you're going to make it happen. If you have the, the entrepreneurial stomach for that, you should jump in all in because you're going to get the ROI on your time. And because you're, you're, that's how you're wired. Yeah. If you don't know if you have the stomach for it, right? Like that's where I say, Hey, all in could actually, that's like a kamikaze ride because mm. things get hard and you, and you trying to find the eject button versus when things get hard for, you know, person a, and you dig in deeper and say, there's no chance this is not going to work. Um, yeah. so I, I do think both can work, but you got to do some self-actualizing, figure out who you are. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the key. It's not either, or it's like both can work. It just depends on your personality. You get to yeah. pick, right? There's no right answer over here. Yeah. Uh, so Ben, walk me through. So you quit your job when you told them I'm going to leave my job and start my business. You started your yeah. business. How many, you start with one location, where are you guys at now in terms of corporate locations and franchise locations? Yeah. So, so we opened in 08 and, uh, opened in Frisco, Texas, eight years, grew the business to four locations and then started franchising, um, in, uh, 2016, um, okay. awarded a bunch of franchise licenses. You know, our locations take about a year to, to build from the time we award the franchise license to opening. And so we started awarding licenses, 16, 17, 18. Um, things start to get open, COVID hits, um, very Ooh. beginning of 2020. And we paused the breaks on franchising for three years, just started again this year in 2023 yeah. and have some new locations opening, um, in 2024 and beyond. So, you know, we're, we're definitely going to focus on growth, but as we were chatting about before the show, like I am, I'm very much focused on having a business that works well for my lifestyle and, uh, and how I want to live my life and for the franchisees lifestyle and how they want to live mm. their life. Honey, I can't tell you how many people, especially early on came to me and said, I own 25 Dunkin' Donuts and 50 Subways and this, and you know, let me see if you're a good fit in, in my portfolio. And I'm like, we're not yeah. a portfolio brand. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. We're not a good Absolutely. Fit. I can already tell you. <laughs> Ben, tell me, you said uh, you want to make sure it fits for your lifestyle as well as the lifestyle of your franchisees. What is it about your lifestyle that you want to maintain? Yeah, I think it's a lot of the things that you talk about on, on the show and with the, with the people that you have on is that, you know, I have a, a foundation and a, a strategy for my life on how I want my work day to function, mm -hmm. which is in a proactive way. I have creative blocks of, uh, of space on my, my, on my personal books and my personal calendar so that I can be really thoughtful about where I spend time and where I don't. And that doesn't beholden me to a physical location. So we don't even have a corporate office. Like we're all nomads. Oh, wow. Yeah. The entire corporate team. Um, and uh, it's kind of funny because we had someone new come into the business and they, they lasted two months and they were like, we need to have a corporate office and I'm going to you know, have everybody come in. I go, good luck with that. Go call them and see how the director of operations feels about corporate office. Seriously. Um, so, so it's just, um, we have some principles around, you know, work. Like if it, there's few things that need to be done in person, cutting someone's mm. hair is one of those. Um, doing accounting is not even doing, uh, having leadership meetings is not now. Are they, uh, required occasionally or nice to have occasionally? Yes. We have meeting times set up throughout the year. Um, but for me, I want to live a life where 
I can manifest my own destiny and have the least amount of what I call half twos in mm-hmm. life. So I can count I like that. my half twos on my on one hand of what I have to do every day. And I don't want to exceed that. Ben, here's a question for you. This is more of a, a question I'm curious about. How many meetings are on your calendar every day? Um, I probably have, I have no more than maybe three. And they're okay. almost every single one of them is 30 minutes or if it's a one-on-one meeting, I do not schedule 60 minute meetings with very mm. few exceptions. And so yeah. it's like, we have a lot to talk about. We probably need to make it an hour. I'm like, well, it's going to have to be 30 minutes, be efficient, you know, and it yep. forces them to do some work ahead of time to yep. say, and get the meeting started right away. Um, what I am strategic about though, is that I am religious about uh, one, two, three meetings every week. And so I still um, host a personal and professional development call once a week with the entire franchise system, including all of the franchisees team members to get up 200 mm. plus people. I have a weekly leadership meeting and both of these are one hour. I violate my principle there because there's a whole group on there, a lot of content. Mm. Um, and then I have a 30 minute Q and A uh, that's allows every single person in my organization to jump over chain of command and get to me directly and say, I've been really wanting to ask you this question. It's kind of a virtual town hall. I've been doing the 30 minute Q and a, the one hour personal and professional development and the one hour leadership call, um, for almost 10 years straight. And I very rarely miss those. Now I do have guest speakers that come in anytime I want to take off. I've got people that can manage those calls. Um, but it's kind of like my, my, uh, my church at work is I, ha- I, I want to go. I have to go. Mm-hmm. I, it's not I need to. I can't wait to go to these three calls every week. Yeah. I love that, man. I was doing a little bit of research online. Tell me about Operation Gentleman. Do you still run that? Yeah. Yeah. So we started a nonprofit uh, six years ago where we collect suits during the month of September across the entire country uh, for our veterans and specifically for, for veterans in, our, in the soldier recovery unit. So these are veterans that are transitioning from military life to civilian life because hmm. of medical issues. Could be amputees, could be PTSD, kind of yeah. everything in between. And so Operation Gentleman's primary uh, purpose um, is to run that suit drive every year. And we just finished up in November um, this year, right around Veterans Day, where we have a shopping experience for all the veterans. And then two is we uh, take an interest and support our homeless veterans. So there's all kinds of stats out there, but it could be as high as one out of every three um, mm-hmm. uh, homeless are uh, veterans. And so oh, every wow. single membership that we have at the gents, that we uh, sell at the gents place feeds a homeless veteran. Um, every uh, purchase on the gentstore.com, our e-commerce brand feeds a homeless veteran. And so uh, we're up to over 40,000 meals uh, for the homeless vets as well. That's awesome, man. Incorporating charity into your business as well. That's like the, it's the easiest way to do it, right? Keep it all together. I couldn't imagine doing anything different. I, you know, I post on my my LinkedIn headline. I don't know if it'll ever change, but you know, I make money to make a positive difference. I could not imagine starting a business or owning a business um, today that does not have some sort of charitable component. And I was not always this way. Like way back when, I saw Tom's and some of these other brands. I'm like, I honestly, I thought it was like a gimmick. Like, okay, you know, buy a pair of shoes and give one to someone in need. Yeah. And I thought. It's just a marketing scheme. and But when we started many, many years ago helping causes that we really cared about, I couldn't imagine not doing it. I really couldn't. Yeah. And you know, now I think 
no, the Tom's guys, like they actually cared and they wanted to, to help people in need. And yeah. they were bold enough to, to put that out there. And so uh, we're really passionate about, I mean, I couldn't do business. I wouldn't do business. I wouldn't want to, unless there was some sort of bigger purpose. Yeah. Love that, man. Uh, ben, if anyone wants to get a hold of you or find out more about you, where can they find you? Yeah. So uh, you're going to be on my show as well. So I started a new podcast called The Untrapped Entrepreneur. So uh, untrapped.com is a really great place to find me. And that kind of spider webs out to all my different uh, business ventures. Um, of course, if you want to go to thegentsplace.com or thegentsstore.com, which is our e-commerce <clears throat> brand, uh, by all means, check that out. But uh, Untrapped Entrepreneur Podcast and untrapped.com is probably the easiest place. Perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, ben, it was awesome having you on, man. Yeah, thanks, brother.